Greetings, Quester, and welcome to Tiny Meeple's Big Talk with Matt and Richard. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Tiny Meeple's Big Talk. Big Talk. Today, it's all about the Shepherd Eye. Chopper Eye. The Stargate. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Stargate and, of course, Jack O'Neill. Yeah, he's the main one we're going to talk about because. Obviously, when it got made as a TV program, he really did kind of carry the show a lot. A much different take on the character oh, of, yeah, of Jack O'Neill. In the Stargate, the film, yeah. uh, obviously Jack O'Neill was played by Kurt Russell, and mm. he was like the traditional stony-faced soldier. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, but I really like Kurt Russell. his kid had just died. It had, yeah. And um, then in the series, it, a bit more time had gone past. <laughs> He'd, yeah. He'd uncovered his sense of humour again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but yeah, very different takes on the on the same character. Mm. I mean, I say Kurt yeah. Russell is is a is a great actor. He's been in some really great films. Mm. Um, particularly the thing was probably one of my favourite films that he's done. But um, I, like to, I like to Escape from New York. <laughs> <laughs> the I thing, like Escape from yeah, Escape from New York, excellent. Escape from LA, not so much. But Escape from New York and, and Snake was just brilliant. And it's the same guy. And well, uh, same character. I mean. Yeah, it's just the sequel wasn't as good. Yeah, it's, but, it's not the character's fault. <laughs> <laughs> but very different takes, obviously, because then uh, Richard Dean Anderson mm-hmm. uh, came into it and went with MacGyvered a more it. yeah, he MacGyvered it in a in a comedy way. Um, so yeah. you still got the soldier, but he's presented as probably being a little little bit more dim and less understanding as the Jack O'Neill in the film. In a way, but yeah. a lot more comedy but he also pretends to be less intelligent than he actually is that's he does. part of it as well i mean like as far as tactics go you can't really get much better in like perception and stuff like mm. that he just will not learn facts yeah. and it's almost intentional <laughs> <laughs> he does not want to understand what carter's saying <laughs> there are yeah there are times where he's carter's trying to explain to him and he's just yeah What's the bottom line? What's it? Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and in in a way, it's kind of almost a little bit of a surprise when you take that into the character that is he is the leader of like us first line of defense against yeah. alien invasion. And he is but fascinated he does... by space as well. Yeah. And like he knows about the like accretion disk of black holes and stuff like that. Mm. It's just he doesn't kind of carry that interest on into anything else so yeah. much. Yeah. Um, but as a character, he's absolutely fantastic. And like you say, there's so many times where he carries the show because of his personality, his mm. charisma. I mean, all the thing is, the whole of SG-1 are a great team. There's good casting choices. I think um, so, yeah. They're well acted. The stories that they get, they, they really explore those four characters over the course of the various series. Well, it's, it's a great team, really, because... Mm. Whatever situation they come up against, there's bound to be one of them that's going to to know something. It's very well kind of formulated because mm. obviously Tilk's a fighter, so is Jack. But Tilk also has like inside knowledge and like what mm, what gold. Jafar do and like what what the Gould do and things like that. Uh, Daniel knows all of the um, linguistic the, the archaeology, the but also yeah, the legends. That's mm. what I was trying to go for. So it's like Tilk knows yeah he's lived the Jafar life Mm. with them all but then Daniel has like a really good overview of all of them Mm. basically and also he will um (laughs) 
he will beat them all over the head with moles <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and really, in, in in many ways, Daniel is the heart of the team, isn't he? But yeah, because he's the they emotional go into one. different yeah. circumstances, and even I mean, Carter can, is probably more like that than any of the others in the team. But she's still got that military training to fall back on in times, in the sense of, well. I've got to be pragmatic about the situation. We haven't got time to help oh, these people. We've got to do this. She's but Daniel, a yeah, Daniel always comes through and makes the team care more. Yeah. And he's kind of he's like the conscience of that team, probably more I think so, so than any yeah. others. Think... Except when he's been made evil by overuse of a sarcophagus. Yeah, but any of us can fall prey to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's nice and relaxing in there. Yeah. <laughs> And it makes you not need your circles of glass, you know, minor yeah. rectangles. Daniel will always bring the emotional mm. argument to it. And it's very similar to the original Star Trek, mm. where Kirk would have to make the decision, but then Spock would give him the logical side, McCoy would give him the emotional side, mm. and then he has to kind of decide between that. And it's very much a little bit like that with, um, with SG-1. I mean, Jack... He's got the very much just the military background, mm. basically. But the kind uh, he of stuff still that... does care when it comes to like things like oh, kids, he definitely, though, he? he definitely it, does care. His whole he... relationship with Scara yeah. shows shows that side of him, and and Cassandra when they find Cassandra on the alien planet. Yeah. Oh, that was that was so sad. <laughs> that, well, well, not that sad, but because it had a nice ending. But I mean, it's, that was a very emotional episode. It was the bit where she's going. We all the felt lift like Carter her. when she was going back in the lift yeah, and she was punching definitely. the wall. We all we want. We all wanted to do that when we were watching that part. Sometimes, like Jack will know when there's mm. nothing they can do for a certain uh, people or something like that, and just we just have to leave basically. And then Daniel just won't, even though logically there's not much they can do Daniel will want to stay and try anyway against all the odds and, and maybe even try and share the consequences with those people yeah, at times that's when it, there's, yeah. uh, even if he knows there's nothing they can do he just doesn't want to leave them on their own to face that and suffer that he wants to be there with them yeah I mean the, um, the, the and, very fact he stayed on Abydos yeah. <laughs> and Jack has to pull him up through the wormhole sometimes yeah. to drag him through to save Daniel's own life I was thinking about the one with the uh, terraforming machine that's mm. going towards a village of people, and it's got that automated like AI mm. on it. Doesn't really understand, or it, it just has to terraform it for the um, unborn lives that are on that that mm. machine. And yeah, that's a quite a good Daniel one, I thought, because he does actually beam up to it to try and have one last chance to reason with this guy, even though he knows that. Jack and Sam are going to blow it up in a few minutes, <laughs> and yeah, very much he would he would risk his own life to try and do what is right, and I think that's that's a great part of it. It's not just the the knowledge and everything. Yeah. Um. But yeah, we were mainly going to talk about O'Neill, but it's just I think the the rest of the team is we're not kind of dismissing the rest of the team because no. they are such great we, characters. We, we do but... love the whole SG one, and uh, yeah. I mean, for me, when I was watching it first time round, it was hard to it was hard to pick out a favorite character. Because I just love them all probably equally for, yeah. for different reasons. I say uh, when you look at Daniel Jackson, he was like the like the heart and soul of of, of the team, the emotional yeah. side, and the EQ of side. Him and the whole project got started anyway. Yeah, and I must say that was a cast amazing casting choice to get Michael Shanks <laughs> to be Dave, to James be, Spader. because <laughs> yeah, James Spader is, was brilliant as Daniel Jackson in mm. the. Um, in the original Stargate, oh. the film, and I mean that guy is an absolutely fantastic actor. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and if you've ever watched The Blacklist, he really does carry that show. I loved. Um, I liked him in The Office when he was there as the evil boss. He yeah. played mind games with them all. And that's but a completely different character again. He's a great character and a great orator as well, and that comes mm. through in the particularly in The Blacklist. Um, but I'm, I was really pleased that when they did SG One, they didn't just get a, a guy that looked just like him, no. but they got a guy that could act as well. I mean, when I first saw got the trailers, a guy that could be a Daniel. Yeah, when I first saw the trailers for SG One, I actually thought James Spader was in it. Michael Shanks did a, such a good job. Yeah, yeah. Um, it wasn't until I actually saw the casting list when the show started that well, he did was... a lot of sneezing in the first. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, as I say, I mean Richard Dean. It's kind of funny as well because a lot of friends of mine watched the show um, when it was first on, and for different reasons. You know, some of them really loved sci-fi. Some of them really loved Richard Dean Anderson. So (laughs) yeah, I knew some people Um, that really liked MacGyver before mm. then. It's not really something that I'd really seen, but and that seemed to bring a lot of fans into the show. In its, I like if that Carter made a reference to it in the first episode. Yeah, he said they MacGyver the yeah, DHT system. That. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I mean, and then you had my mum who just was in love with Tilk. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's fine. Yeah. So yeah, hi mum, and Shall yeah, it was, a... <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a great series, and you know we we thought we'd talk about in particular some of O'Neill's funnier moments and alternative ways to use the Stargate. So, And I, it overlaps a little bit, especially yeah. in the one that you were watching today. Like, for example, there was times when, uh, after the pilot episode, when uh, Tilk saved SG-1 and they, he brought Tilk Jackson and the others brought Tilk home with him. Yeah. And uh, Tilk's been questioned by Mayborn. And uh, O'Neill just called. in the first episode? Not Mayborn, sorry, Samuels. Major Samuels. Samuels. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and O'Neill comes through, permission to barge in, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. I just love how irreverent he is to you know, authority. I mean, in a, in a later ep- episode, um, I think it's the one, again, regarding another episode regarding Tilk, when the alien bug's transforming his DNA oh, and, yeah. and uh, Mayborn wants yeah. to take him away and is in the office. Well, O'Neill, Mayborn, and Hammond are in the office, and mm. O'Neill turns to Hammond and just says, um, "Permission to beat the crap out of this man, sir." <laughs> just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He often uh, he's always threatening to shoot Mayborn into. Yeah. Well, which I think is pretty good. Oh, I'm not going to hit you. I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, definitely doesn't like him. No, uh, Mayborn was another character with an interesting um, story arc and progression in that show. But he, what well, I think. O'Neill's finest moments for me aren't actually when he's on different planets to the mm. Stargate. It's usually when he's on Earth interacting with other people, particularly, as yeah. I say, some of his interactions with Samuels, um, later Mayborn, who basically takes over the role from Samuels, and yeah. Senator Kinsey, some of the... Um, like. But when he's Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> yeah. And some of these other, <laughs> other, other moments there. Um, I mean, in the actual confines of the SGC, some of his conversations with Hammond are just priceless. Yeah, I I was thinking the other day about um, some of my favourite comments by him, and I like it when Daniel had just come back from the dead the first time. Um, We have to clarify which time with Daniel as well. (laughs) In most series, you wouldn't have to clarify which time someone comes back from the dead. Yeah, it's um, when he... When he had been ascended, then he tried to kill Anubis and they'd sent him back with no memory. Mm. So basically, that was the main thing. He They'd found him and brought him back from the planet 
where he was sent back. And when they come back into the SGC, uh, Hammond welcomes him back. And then he said, you really have no idea who I am? And Daniel says, no. And then Jack says, I don't have any idea either, sir. <laughs> no, he says, I don't either, sir. He, he looks so happy when he says it. <laughs> and it's just, it's just funny. <laughs> I, I like that, um, that O'Neill one. And um, yeah, there's just so many times, like you said, where he's just kind of irreverent. And I like the amount of times when he says, got nothing. <laughs> that tends to be his catchphrase, really. I liked uh, some of his bad example moments. Yeah. Like in uh, Window of Opportunity, when they're in, stuck in the time loop. Yeah. And uh, he's trying to get everyone to believe. There's a lot of good stuff in the, that, that one. That is probably one, probably my favourite episode for those sort of comments. Um, but yeah, they're in the time loop and they're trying to get the other members to bl- believe that that's what's happening because it's only O'Neill and Tilt that's going through it. Mm. And he's, to- he's talking to Hammond and Carter. He's like, oh, if it was just me, I could believe it. But come on, is this the face of a crazy man? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, bad example. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> the camera just cuts to Tilt looking like... <laughs> yeah, bad example. Crazy man. You know. Yeah, so that's a, the time loop one. Um, of opportunity, yeah. And isn't that where it also ends up that so Daniel's talking to him and he's eating his fruit leaves yeah. at the start of each one. He wasn't listening the first That's time. That's just how I feel about it. What, what do you think? You? Yeah. And then, um, but then it turns out that Tilk, every time it loops, he's getting a door opened in his face, <laughs> and then he just like slams it on the guy. Doesn't he? <laughs> I like the fact that later on, when uh, I can't remember if it was talking to Tilk or or Carter actually, but. Uh, O'Neill was saying about, you know, that's where he loops into. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, the worst thing, I wasn't paying attention the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. And yeah. I, I like the way they they were actually learning as well. I mean, we were talking, well, what we said before, how he just kind of seems to refuse to to learn things like on principle mm. almost. Like he wants to uh, just kind of let Carter handle that side of it and Daniel handle the language side. But um, in that one. Daniel actually just teaches them loads, doesn't he? And they, they, the only way they can retain the knowledge is like in their head. But I love the way they're just kind of messing around like naughty kids are in well, a school and just spinning around on their chairs. Right <laughs> at the start of that episode, he was asking Carter questions, wasn't he? Because he was like, yeah. why is it called a wormhole? What? Where does the worm come in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was a bit more interested in it. Yeah. Um, but the there's one... also a bit in that where he's being, they're being examined by Dr. Frazier. Yeah. And O'Neill was there going, what in my eye could possibly explain this? <laughs> but that, that's after, there's been so many scenes where Dr. Frazier's just looking in his eye into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. I love the way that you see um, Jackson taking the mick out of O'Neill as well. Yeah, yeah, th- there's a few times where he just goes, Daniel, and he goes, Jack. <laughs> Daniel, <laughs> <laughs> just kind of, yeah. I, I like the way those two get on because they're so different, mm. but they do get on, and it's nice. I just fancied uh, earlier today watching Window of Opportunity because it always makes me laugh a lot. And yeah. um, there was a scene in there where they're one of the episodes where they're having a briefing, yeah. Um, and they've already been through that meeting because it's the one one of their earlier times, yeah. Meetings. And uh, and he starts talking about like the corona. The sun's corona. Yeah. And yeah, as evidence that, you know, they've already had the briefing. And Carter says, oh, 
you know, he says to them, well, how would I have known that if, you know, if we hadn't already had the meeting? And Carter says, well, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe he read it in my report. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, Jackson, and Jackson says, maybe he read it in your report? Yeah. <laughs> and just pulls a face. Because <laughs> I've been watching the ones when, um, when he's the general. And there's oh, a yeah. bit where he kind of, they're a bit worried about Carter because she's been a bit kind mm. of quiet. And it's the one where she's kind of worrying about Pete a bit. And she's kind of up late and... Jack kind of comes up to her and says, Carter, I can't believe these words are going to come out of my mouth, but I need that report. (laughs) (laughs) And then after they've been talking for a while, he he just kind of says, Carter, I was just joking. I don't really need the report. (laughs) That that seems more like him. (laughs) But one of of the more recent ones that I really like, this is one of the the last few when he was a colonel. And I think it was a a last little... uh, Hmm nice little O'Neill moment was when he was trying to do that crossword because he and Carter had this bet that he mm. couldn't like finish oh, yeah. this crossword and they had this really important meeting they had to be at um, because Anubis was going to attack Earth and stuff but Jack was outside in his truck finishing the crossword so he could like <laughs> give it to Carter and he'd already phoned Daniel mm. in the morning to get some help with it and then when he gave it to Carter she was I can't remember which element was it was I think it was Beryllium I'll have to look up the thing. But she says, like, for the... It asks you the atomic no, weight okay. of it. And it says, the answer's ten. You wrote fat. <laughs> like, that, that is so jacked. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there is... I think, in a way, there's an element of Jack being the every man in that show. Because... Yeah. I say, I Carter's wish. got... I wish, like, I, was, yeah, <laughs> I wish I was only... But yeah. Carter is got the intellect because she's you know an experimental astrophysicist yeah daniel's the archaeologist the linguist i mean uh, they're the both scientists but in yeah, very different, different fields different fields yeah um obviously teal is there he's he's obviously not got a great knowledge of earth culture um uh, but he knows so much about the jafar the gold system lords he knows a lot and, about funny you know, films though don't he <laughs> yeah uh whereas o'neill is kind of like us in that situation he's, he kind of like represents the viewer he's asking the questions that we want to ask like mm. what does this mean you know what's the bottom line here shooting um, aliens we want to shoot yeah. <laughs> like so, um, yeah what about all the girls he keeps meeting <laughs> yeah yeah that's you know, that. he's, it's not he's, quite cut he's had some but... quite funny uh, probably as much as uh, as Jackson Jackson seems to have a girl on every planet at times. But... I like, I like how O'Neill points it out. It's like, <laughs> it's like, Daniel, you dog. Keep yourself yeah. here, you'll have a girl on every planet. That was when he was turned into an Neanderthal, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that was cool. Shortly before he ended up uh, agreeing to marry the queen of a, another planet. You know, he's just, he does seem to yeah. get a lot of girls, does does Daniel. Hathor. Yeah. Oh, that was that was a funny scene, wasn't it? When... Most that DNA will be mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One thing I have to mention about O'Neill is also the um, the the pond with no fish. Yeah, that he keeps taking them to. Ah, but there, it does turn out to be a fish at one point. <laughs> Pesky fish. Because <laughs> he's there with Carter, and you see he's got he's reeling his line in, and then all of a sudden this fish jumps out of the water. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought you said this pond had no fish. He goes, eh, mostly. <laughs> you know, there's just some really great stuff. Look how much talk hated the fishing as well. Yeah. <laughs> But it's nice that they turned up. The last one I watched, um, they all, well, no, the last but one, um, they were all at the little fishing pond, and it's, it's just nice to have them all kind of hanging out, mm. doing stuff that the others of them hate, but Jack likes for some reason. It's just relaxing. So, <laughs> so yeah, if you want to watch a, a TV show that's got some really 
good different topics because I mean even though even in series one there were so many different themes coming through that series mm. um, it's got good internal harmony that's what mm. I like about Stargate I mean if they come up with an innovation in one episode they don't tend to forget it in another no. one it kind of carries over they are trying to find new technology mm. to be able to use to fight the gold um, you just there's a few things you have to kind of get over earlier on like the fact that the everybody speaks English, stuff like that. Ah, but I'll I, come back I, know, to that in a I know there'll be ridiculous things where people can say why it works, but it's just a thing in the program, hmm. and you forget after a while, and you, you don't, don't mind so much. Well, yeah, it, it it well there are there were different theories as to why that that happened. Yeah, but they're all stupid. I've read a few of them. Well, I, I'm, I'll come to come to that in a second. One uh, used to be that just the fact that you couldn't have Daniel learning a new alien language every episode. That's it was obviously why. That's obviously why. Because it's 45 minutes in yeah. adventure. Um, but also the show's producer said that um, when you travel through the Stargate, obviously you, your molecules are, are um, dismantled, aren't they? And then, much like the transporter system in Star Trek. Yeah, you're you disassembled dead. and then you reassemble on another planet. A new person gets Yeah. Um, but the Stargate system, <laughs> when it. you're reassembled, it incorporates uh, tiny molecular nanites into your bloodstream, which act as uh, like a translator as you go through to that planet. If you want that to be it, say it in the programme. Yeah, it was never really said in the programme. Um, That's because he made it up off the cuff <laughs> to try and explain away. The very logical uh, production reasons mm. why they didn't have different. It yeah, never, it never, it never bothered me to be honest because it, it sort of. Um... It bothers you on the first, uh, third episode. That's the point where you realise. Hang on a minute, everybody's speaking English for mm. me anyway, because in the first episode people were speaking Gould as well, yeah. and it wasn't quite so obvious. But the, th- I think it's on the third one. There's all the Mongolians. Mm. Who tried to like That's steal where part I first of... thought about yeah, why the Mongolians speaking English. It kind of slaps you in the face on that episode. <laughs> yeah. But then after a few more episodes, you are just kind of into the story. And like I say, the internal harmony is what's more important. Mm. I used to think because they had the iris, didn't they? That closed yeah. over the Stargate. And obviously, as the unstable vortex was coming rushing out towards people from the yeah. gate, it just evaporated everything in it. Why doesn't that just go straight through the iris? Yeah, it's because so, um, it's so near to the event horizon, isn't it? Well, I just thought it. Yeah, I also thought that it was probably because it was a production decision. But <laughs> yeah, no, it, yeah, I, I used to kind of think that kind of thing as well. But just Carter's explanation of it being so close to the event horizon that nothing can kind of has chance to form. Has chance to form, and I thought that would that would apply to the thing as well. Mm. Whatever it is, that blast that comes out of it, I think that's quite a nice aspect of it because you could have the gate just kind of forming yeah but i like the way they always have that blast coming yeah and that's actually, cool. actually quite important in later episodes as well isn't it, it that, is. that happens yeah. and you kind of wonder how much of that was pre-planned or if that was just you it know just an effect an in effect the film in i the think film, and it I'm just looks it cool it. Yeah. It, it always just looks cool though doesn't it, it does yeah and the most recent one i watched which i meant to mention earlier because i watched it yesterday and it is one that i've always remembered it's when he it turned out he'd been having visions of the life of a barber for years this barber had been having visions of O'Neill's life and then it turns out so well you must have been having visions of this guy's life as well and it turned out he had and he just hadn't mentioned it to anybody for like seven years or something that that was 
That was good. And I've always remembered that as well, because when you watch the series after that, and you watch it from the first series, you, you're kind of thinking, like, this has already started at this <laughs> point. I just think that in his spare time, and he was having these flashbacks, well, not flashbacks, just these visions of this guy's very ordinary life. And as he said in season eight, he found it relaxing. So I think, you know, if nice. you are being shot at by alien aggressors on a weekly basis and saving the earth frequently, and you're, you're watching one of your best friends constantly die and come back to life, <laughs> sometimes you're going to want something that's just nice, simple and relaxing. And having uh. visions of a guy cutting hair is probably what helped keep him so grounded over all those years. The other thing we were going to talk about, alternative uses for a Stargate. Oh yeah, innovative. Innovative. The thing I thought about was on that Mitch and Webb sketch where there's like, it's on the Mitch and Webb sound mm. where there's like an office and they've got their own Stargate and they keep, it's like, they keep being these announcements about what not to use the Stargate for, yeah. like for throwing your rubbish through it and everything and not bullying the aliens on the other side, <laughs> not urinating into the Stargate, <laughs> things like that. But, but I just kind of thought that um, using it to get rid of rubbish I mean, mm. if you knew it was opening out onto, like, near the surface of a star or something like that, well, this is you could it. dump all of Earth's rubbish into it, and you'd know it was going somewhere where it just get incinerated. I mean, I was thinking, because you've, it's, it's, it was quite interesting, actually, at the time. In one of the later episodes, you see one of the shuttles go through a gate and mm. come out in space and there's, yeah. they've got like a, a stargate in space but that happens all ships. the time on, yeah. on Atlantis doesn't it and yeah. they have the puddle jumpers that will go through and they have to check whether the gate is a land one or an orbit one before yeah. they go through it don't they? and that was that was something that was more uh, it was a regular thing on Atlantis but it only ever happened like very very rarely mm. in Stargate SG-1 and I thought if you had a, a stargate that opened up near a sun yeah. That you could just use it to dispose of you, your waste and everything. Yeah. Um, or have a landfill planet. <laughs> just, keep, just when yeah. it finally gets uh, so chock a block that it gets near, it starts to collapse near the Stargate. Every time the Stargate punches, it opens up new space for more rubbish. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. And of course, playing golf. Yeah, which O'Neill and Tilk did on the episode that you just watched. Yeah, yeah and he got shafted at. Didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he shouts back at Hammond. <laughs> <laughs> That is yeah, that is that is one of my favourite episodes. But yeah, there's other things as well. Um, friend friend of mine, Bryony, made the point you could send through people that were annoying. You could do people yeah. that were being naughty in thy sight, which they did do in Stargate sometimes. Yeah, I mean they well they let Mayborn stay through the gate, didn't they? Even though mm. he kind of snuck through or something. And Anubis, you know, when he kind of turned up as like a weird entity that was jumping mm. between different bodies then they let him go through the Stargate but he was on that frozen world and he just froze solid on the other side. I was thinking it would be great for talent shows. So for example, I mean you get like shows like The X Factor and Pop Idol and you see people going on there convinced they can sing and all their friends and family are like, oh yeah, you, you know, you're a great singer, you know, believe in yourself, go on this show and, and compete. I think people would be a lot more hesitant to, you know, encourage people to sing if the if the people that failed were being sent through to a replicator planet, yeah, well, that's just an execution. I mean, you can't. You could just have a firing it's, squad. It's not technically an execution, because, because you're, you're not, not killing them. It. You're just put, sending them to another planet. Yeah, because that, okay, so you th- you're like the Starks <laughs> because you're not swinging the sword. Uh, 
I, th- I think it's um, it would be interesting, wouldn't it? I'd say, rather right. not use it to kill people, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you could send them through to be, you know, hosts for the, for the, yeah, for, for the, the Tokra or oh, for the gold. For the Tokra, yeah, I really like the Tokra. I do like the Tokra. Yeah, and Jack hates them. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, you know, there's there's a lot of possibilities with a Stargate. I think one of the problems with it is that it is only one way, and yeah. that is. I think it's good that the Stargate has that limitation because otherwise there'd be all kinds of crazy uses for it, wouldn't there? Mm. I mean, you could just imagine playing like tennis or something through the Stargate. Yeah, I mean that that would be through a two-way cool. Stargate. Yeah, um, obviously communication's pretty good because mm. it goes two ways, doesn't it? Mm. Electromagnetism can go it go through it two ways, so you could use it to like, even if you weren't going through it, use it to communicate with people on the other side of the world or, or the universe as well. I think the other limitation of it is that you can only have, basically have one per planet, can't you? Because it kind of goes to the nearest one. Yeah. I know Earth's got two, but if you try to dial the other one, you get the busy signal, as they yeah. call it. So you have to think of like going somewhere far enough away, mm. don't you? So that you can actually use the gate. Um, but I think there has been some innovative uses of it in the program itself like when Carter basically used it to blow up a sun by like <laughs> dropping an open gate into the corona into the mantle of the, uh, into the sun and, and it drew the energy it through drew, well, it drew enough matter in <laughs> that it kind of changed the Schwarzschild radius and kind of collapse it and make it uh, make it kind of uh, supernova I think it did so I thought that was quite in- innovative in a way there's not many everyday uses you can have for it. It's too thought, big and unwieldy. I thought it was what was interesting was because there was an episode in I think it was series two, no series one with the prison world. Yeah, where they were feeding people through it. They were feeding people through it, so you could you could use it as a food delivery system. Yeah, you could. Imagine, imagine if you could like miniaturize the Stargate technology so it could be within a planet, and everyone had one in their house. Yeah. Deliveries would be instantaneous. You could order yeah. a pizza and it'd come. Flying through a wormhole, yeah, Soup would that's be a problem. Mm. Well, it wasn't a problem for the guys. Just had the trough. No, you had the trough, and it came down. Which is um, a bit weird because I would. You could have yeah. inescapable prisons, couldn't you? You could. Yeah, I mean, it didn't work so well for them guys, but because you just don't no send a genius through. Yeah, yeah, don't send that uh, destroyer of worlds through there. Yeah. <laughs> um, that did give me another idea about disposing of things you don't want. Rather than sending it somewhere else, you just dial it up and throw whatever you don't like into the big <laughs> splash that comes out because that does completely destroy the thing, doesn't yeah. it? I think some radiation comes off, but it doesn't seem to be harmful, does it? Because well, not not if you're not in the splash. If you're in the splash, it's pretty harmful. Well, I just mean to be around. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Because no one was getting Stargate sickness. Were they? Yeah, this is the thing. I mean, the amount of times when loads of Jafar or somebody slams into the iris and obviously they're gone yeah the matter had to go somewhere <laughs> I mean it came through it, radiation comes off because you can scan the radiation mm. that comes off the iris but obviously it's not harmful because mm. otherwise they, they would all be ill <laughs> the amount of times that's happened so yeah and I think you could use the main in- innovative use I think is to destroy things of the stocking <laughs> Yeah, it does have brilliant destructive capabilities. Yeah, but I think the ordinary use of the Stargate is the best, just going between different worlds. Mm. And the fact that they were set up by the ancients and they're all put on planets 
with an atmosphere and ones where mm. humans can survive for the most part. Because even the ones that they go through that aren't actually inhabitable were habitable when the Stargate system yeah, was originally put it. in there. It's just the natural planets. So out of the billions of planets that mm. there are, I mean, they, they all lead to ones that you can actually survive on. Mm. So yeah, and I love all the worlds that they go to. Mm. I mean, they're so often in a beautiful forest, aren't they? And it'd be nice just to be able to have your own Stargate and just go to different places like that for a holiday. <laughs> like whenever you feel like, like I'm off to P3X one eight one or whatever. I quite liked it as well when the Russians got the gate. What well, they had that water world on the other side with the energy coming out of it. That was pretty cool. That was, yeah, I liked that. Yeah. That was um, cool. But yeah, as I was saying, you know, there are definitely. I mean, it's quite interesting the way they explored some of those innovative uses in the. I there. think there was more innovative uses in Atlantis when I think about the stuff McKay did with it, like um, making that bridge between mm. galaxies. So basically just dropping gates in between the Milky Way and the Pegasus mm. galaxy. And then you go through the buffer. You kind of walk through one gate and then you just kind of forward it to the buffer of each one until you yeah. get to Earth and just come out of the gate. <laughs> that was a really cool idea. And, you know, there are... There are, I mean, I do think that when you look at the gate, it's a beautiful thing to look at as well with the different symbols, the chevrons. I mean, they, they, they the keep calling it an ancient puddle. artifact, don't they? Mm. And that, it does look like that. Mm. Yeah. So, please, if you if you're a fan of the show, drop us uh, some comments below and let us know yeah. um, what you, some of your favourite O'Neill moments There's are. There's so many more, isn't there? Stay meddlesome. Mm-hmm. Farewell, Questa. To find out about other productions by the Meddlesome Meeples, then check out our channel or rendezvous with us at meddlesomemeeples.com. Until next time, Questa, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.